appreciate that very much. Book of Galatians, please. Galatians chapter number one. Children, you can be heading on out anywhere from four years old up to the sixth grade. If you want to be a part of the children's meetings, you're certainly welcome to go. So the team is going out and they'll have a great time. So four years old to sixth grade if you'd like to go. Okay, now that's, uh, that's what they're going. Remember the youth activity at six o'clock on Friday night where our team is looking forward to that. Uh, if you see that Minuteman Ministries trailer out there, we got all kinds of goodies in there. And we'll set up some competitions, have a great time, split into two teams, and we'll do what we love to do. Uh, Minutemen does competition. That's what we do. And if you want to find that out, you can go to our website, WARSF. That stands for WARSF, WARSpecialForces.org, and find out what we do on a weekly basis. We can't do it on that scale on Friday night, but give you a little idea of what we do. And uh, we just came from Edinburgh, Virginia, Valley Christian School, about 90 teenagers in the junior high and high school. Had a wonderful week there, heading to Fairfax. I understand they'll probably have a few more students than that, and looking forward to a great uh, week down there at the Christian school, or up there, I should say. And uh, then, of course, uh, uh, we um, start heading to the Midwest for our one out there in Urbana, uh, Ohio. So excited about what the Lord has for us. Uh, we're enjoying uh, traveling, working with teenagers. Uh, I think I'm temporarily insane. I've been temporarily insane for 37 years. I love working with teenagers. Okay, so it's been great, and we're having a, having a ball. I'm looking forward to Friday night as well. Well, I want to just preach a simple message here this morning. Well, it's, I shouldn't say simple. It's uh, take a little bit of work here. I'm going to preach through an entire book of the Bible. What do you think about that? Okay, an entire book of the Bible. Several years ago, I had a friend of mine who's um, a director of a small Bible college in, in Nairobi, Kenya. And he said, I want you to come over, preach our opening services for second semester. And he said, I want you to teach a class. We talked a little bit. We agreed that I would teach Galatians. Okay, Galatians. Okay. And so I began studying Galatians, and I got my Greek out, and I took three years of Greek in, in uh, college. I know just enough Greek to be extremely dangerous. And uh, so I got that out. I began to study, and I worked through the book of Galatians. And uh, so I'm going to preach through the book of Galatians. Now, I will make a promise to you, we will be done before 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Okay, <laughs> just tease it. Okay, we'll try to, this is going to be a rocket ride. This is what I call a flyover. You ever done a flyover a few years ago? I was flying into Midway Airport in the south side of Chicago. I don't, I don't know how many are familiar with Midway or Chicago for that matter, but that's where I grew up. I grew up right near Midway Airport. And as I flew in, I looked down, and sure enough, I could see railroad yards. I could see Booth Tarkington Elementary School, where I went to school. I could see 71st, uh, and I could figure out where I lived. I could see the Nabisco factory. Boy, that was great growing up near the Nabisco factory. I'm telling you, you could breathe and gain weight. It was unbelievable. And uh, right over there, the Nabisco factory, I could see the whole thing. I flew in, I thinking, wow. But you know what? It looked different than the air, didn't it? You ever done that? It looks different from the air. kind of looks kind of like, wow, I didn't realize that was that close and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're going to do a fly over the book of Galatians, so I don't want you to get too worried tonight. We're just going to zip right over it. And we want to look at it for a certain reason, because there are two pitfalls presented in the book of Galatians that need to be avoided. Several years ago, I was in the state of North Dakota, and um, yes, there is a state up there, and the glaciers do recede from time to time. But anyway, I was up there in the summertime in North Dakota, and I was talking to an airman who was now assistant pastor, but he was in the Air Force, and he was stationed in South Korea, and he told me that there was a, an airfield he worked in that the only way to get there, I guess, was you had to go through the rice fields. I guess if you went on foot, that is. And he said they would tell the airmen every once in a while, and I know this is gross, and I hate to tell you this, but I'm going somewhere with this. They would tell the airmen, because every once in a while, they would fill those rice fields with, through, uh, with raw sewage. 
to use it as fertilizer. Okay, next time you eat rice, think about that. But anyway, okay, so anyway, uh, they'd fill it full of uh, raw sewage, human sewage. Okay, I'm telling you, this is not a nice picture, okay? So next time, well, anyway, just you might want to avoid brown rice, but I shouldn't have said that. Okay, working with teenagers gets you in big trouble. Okay, but anyway, so here you are. They said, when you come in on those, those little, they had little mounds of dirt, you know, in between the rice fields that you'd come in, enough for one person to walk on, they would tell the airmen, now listen, don't come in without a flashlight and don't come in drunk. You know why? Because if you fall off that pathway, you're going to regret it. You know what I'm talking about? You're going to regret it. Raw sewage on both sides. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I know this is, I'm not trying to be gross. Working with teenagers, I try to get picturesque pictures you won't forget, okay? So please, uh, please forgive me, okay? For you adults, I should have warned you that preaching to teenagers sometimes has bad effect. But anyway, I am telling you, you know what the book of Galatians does? It presents two pitfalls. And I'm going to tell you, they're worse than raw sewage. And so what God is telling us is stay on that narrow road in between the two pitfalls. One of them is a false gospel, and one of them is a counterfeit gospel, and they're on either side of the true gospel. Did you know that? Do you know the book of Galatians is one of the few books that Paul wrote that has no commendation? He has no commendation for the Galatian churches. Now, if you read the book of Acts, you'll never see the word Galatia, but you will see the words Lystra, Derby, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia. Those are the churches in, the, in the, what we might call the region of Galatia. And so uh, what had happened is uh, God had done a great work. When they came in there, a bunch of people had gotten saved. And churches were established, and guess what? The devil got in, the, in on the deal. You ever been to church when the devil got in on the deal? I'm telling you, he still works at that today. And the devil got in with the false gospel. And the Apostle Paul writes a very strong letter to the Galatians, and we're going to just do a fly over it, because it shows us two pitfalls that are very alive and well in the American church. Did you know that? One of the pitfalls was probably more alive several decades ago. The other pitfall has come alive uh, as the other one perhaps is not the pitfall it once was. Satan will try to push you one side or the other, I'll tell you that, because he doesn't want you on the narrow road. He does not want you on the true gospel road. Now, it's important to realize when I'm talking about the gospel here in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, nine times you find the word brethren. So I want to ask you a question. Who's Paul writing to? You remember, these are Gentiles. So when he's not talking about Jewish brethren, when he calls them brethren, what is he, what is he, why does he call them brethren? The answer is because they're saved. <laughs> So this is written to save people. These are not people trying to work their way to heaven. These are people who got saved the right way, but the false gospel came in and got them off on the Christian life. See, so he's talking about the gospel written to this uh, Christian. And uh, we're going to talk about that here in a moment. So it's written to Christians. You can get off uh, on a, on a, into error even as a believer after you got saved truly with the true gospel. So he wants to get you off the true gospel road. So we're going to read, if we could please, the purpose statement of the book of Galatians. If you look at verses 6 and 7, we'll look at the purpose statement. This is the key to the book of Galatians. Here it is. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Now, does that sound strange to you? Paul says, now listen, folks, you've gotten into another gospel. Oh, by the way, it's not another. Do you know my answer to Paul, question to Paul would be, is it another or not? Well, it's actually two words. The very first word, another gospel, you know what it means? Or you know what the word is? It's a word in Greek that we use in English. A lot of Greek words, I think I mentioned this yesterday, that we have in English. Here it is, heteros, heteros. 
We use that word when we talk about heterosexual marriage. You know, as believers, we believe in heterosexual marriage. You know what the word heteros means? Another of a different kind. What that means is heteros would simply mean that men and women are different. You agree with, you agree with that? Did you know, uh, if you're married, you get this. Did you know men and women don't even think alike? Have you ever noticed that? We, our brains are wired differently. Now, I want to help you, dear ladies, out here tonight. Could I just help you what your man, uh, what his brain is like? A man's brain. Now, this is going to help you, ladies. Some of you ladies are going to be helped tonight, and your marriage is going to be different as a result of my preaching here tonight. Okay, right here. You know what your man's brain is like? Chest of drawers. Chest of drawers. And your man is only in one drawer at a time. Now, every man may have a little few different drawers, but some men have a shooting Bambi's mother drawer. You know what I'm talking about? And Somebody might have a Washington used to be Redskins drawer. You know what I'm talking about? And, and some people might have a Washington Nationals drawer. Or somebody people might have a fishing drawer, okay? And some people, oh, I know all men have a food drawer. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we like to eat, okay? And you got the idea. We got these drawers. And one of the drawers, ladies, this is really going to help your marriage. One of these drawers has nothing in it. Absolutely nothing in it. So if you ever look at your husband, he's looking just very blankly at the wall, and you say to your husband, hey, honey, what are you thinking about? And he looks at you like this duh moment, and he says to you, oh, nothing. He actually means it. He means it. Okay. And uh, I know for a lady that's impossible. You can't think of nothing because you often are thinking of everything. But anyway, uh, I don't know. Uh, best I can tell, I'm not, obviously I'm married to a, a woman, but I certainly am not one. But as I understand it, a woman's brain is more like a bowl of spaghetti, except they're not noodles, it's electricity. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's connected to everything. Okay, if you use the windows analogy, we men only have one window up at a time, and every woman has, who knows, into the double digits, windows going at the same time. Okay, so, now that wasn't the message, but that's the idea different. See, heteros. So what the Bible is saying here, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, you're removed from the grace of God. You've gotten into another gospel, which is not the same. It's different, which is not another. And that second word, another, means another of the same kind. So he's saying, you've gotten into another of a different kind of gospel, which is not another of the same kind. That's what he's saying. So whatever this false gospel is, and I'm going to use this side tonight to be that false gospel. This will be the ditch over here. That particular ditch is another gospel, a heteros gospel. We're in a moment going to call it an opposite gospel because notice what verse 7 says, which is not another, but there be, there be some that trouble you, and here it is, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, it's interesting, the word pervert, you know what it means? To turn to the opposite, to reverse. You know what a false gospel is? This heteros gospel, it's a reversed gospel. If the true gospel is by faith, do you know what the false gospel is? By works. If the true gospel is by the uh, Holy Spirit, the false gospel's by the flesh. You kind of tracking with me on the thing? Okay. And so that's how this thing works. And we're going to see some of that contrast in a moment. So now we go to chapter 2, the last verse. And I mean, we're moving. Okay, we're doing the flyover. Chapter 2, the last verse. And the Apostle Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law then Christ is dead in vain. Do you see a contrast there between law and grace? Grace, as we talked about Sunday morning, is a gift. Law, of course, is the idea of earning. Look at verse number 1 of chapter number 3, and I'm going to just tell you right now, Paul's exercised, and he asks a series of questions, and the answers are obvious. Could I ask you to answer the questions tonight? Would you just do that out loud? Let's start in verse number 2. 
The first one's a little more personal to them, but let's go to verse number two. I think we can answer this. Paul's saying, this only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Could you answer that question? How did you get saved? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the answer is hearing of faith. Wow, that's great. Are you so foolish? Could you answer that one? No, don't answer that one. Okay. <laughs> Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And the answer is no. You're not made perfect by the flesh. What makes you perfect? And the answer is what's the opposite of flesh? The Holy Spirit. Now, how did the Holy Spirit start working in your life in the first place? I'm talking about salvation. The answer is by faith, not by works. Okay, so that brings us, I, I hope you get this, that brings us to the key to the false gospel, and here it is. The false gospel, sometimes I, people call it legalism, okay? So um, I'm going to just simply say legalism, that's the false gospel. Legalism is, and I want you to say, flesh dependence. Can you do that? Now, you're going to be the licensed people over here. We've got more licensed people. This is actually a good illustration because in our culture today, I think we have far more people over here. But I haven't gotten there yet, so I'm getting ahead of myself. So I'm going to say legalism is, and can you say out loud, flesh dependence. Can you do that? Good legalists would do it. I'm telling you, they really would. Okay, so let's try it out now. Here it is. Legalism is? That's good. Yeah, that's good. Flesh dependence. There it is. Or fleshly dependence. That'll work. Or self-dependence. That's what it is. Now, I can't remember if I mentioned this one of the times preaching yesterday. I certainly could have. But let's imagine uh, how much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before he can't get saved. I mean, somebody who really wants to get saved, how much self-dependence or flesh dependence can they have before too much flesh dependence, too much they can't get saved? How much? And the answer is they can't have any. They can't have any. Now, how much, don't miss this, flesh dependence can a seeking saint have who wants victory? And who wants not to be defeated anymore? How much self-dependence can a seeking saint have before they'll be defeated and won't have victory? How much? And the answer is any amount. So don't miss this. Any amount of self or flesh dependence means you're in the quagmire of legalism. Do you see that? See, self-dependence is a killer, isn't it? It keeps people out of heaven. It keeps Christians in defeat. Self-dependence. Okay, so we're going to put you over here. Legalism is flesh dependence. And hopefully that helps a little bit, helps you understand that. I'll go, no, go to Galatians chapter 5. Now, you should be getting pumped right now because Galatians chapter 5, there's only six chapters. That means the flyover is going uh, pretty fast. But don't get too hopeful. We've got to park here in 5 and 6 a little bit. Here we go. Let's look at what it says here in chapter 1 of verse, uh, verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Okay, now. If I could put it this way, I'm going to just come down here for a moment. Okay, legalism is flesh dependence. And right over here, this narrow walkway between these two quagmires, okay, if you want to put them this way, right in between is the true gospel. Now, you know what the true gospel is? It's liberty. The true gospel sets you free. Now, here's the point. You know what the true gospel is? Don't miss this. It's God dependence. It's God dependence. So here's like this. I, I tell young people like this. The Christian life is not, oh, what a bummer. Oh, what a bummer. I've got to be a good little Christian. I can't watch that. Or I can't go over there. I can't wear that. No, that'd be worldly. I can't. Oh, what a bummer. I really like to do that. But I better not do that. Oh, yeah, I really like to. But no, the Christian life's not that. See, the Christian life is not, oh, I can't do this. I, I wish I could. No, the Christian life is not being worldly and loving it. See, the Christian life is freedom to do what you know God wants you to do. Why? Because you want to do it. See? That's liberty, isn't it? 
Sure it is. It's to be free from the downward pull of the enemy and the world because you want to be free. You're not bummed out. You're free. You want to do what God wants you to do. You want to follow the Lord. You want to be what he wants you to be, and you don't want to love the world or be conformed to the world or be an enemy uh, of God because you are a friend with the world. Okay, you get all that. Okay, so that is the, a, a young person who is not following the world, not loving the world, and loving it. Why? Because they're free. <laughs> okay, that's the idea. So that's the, that's the liberty road. Now that brings us to over on this side. Now if you go to verse number 13 of Galatians chapter 5, we're going to lay things out, and then hopefully you'll get this. Look what it says in verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty only. Use not liberty, here it is, for an occasion to what? The flesh. Now, here's what God is saying. If somebody in the name of liberty indulges their flesh and does what they want to do, is it true Bible liberty? And the answer is, well, no. In other words, God is telling us that somebody can call something the right word and yet have the wrong definition, right? Did you know that, that, that what this verse 13 is telling us about is the other side? It's what we call today license, okay, legalism, liberty, and license. Now, here's the issue you need to understand about license. Now, what did it just say? In the name of liberty, it's an occasion to the flesh. So I want you all to say, license is, and I want you to say, flesh indulgence. Can you do that? Okay, let's try it. Okay, license is, okay, see if you remember yours. Legalism is flesh dependence. Okay, there you are. You got it. A little late, but you got it. I'd rather, better late than nothing. And not, not, then you got, got it. Okay, flesh, so flesh indulgence over here. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand, friends. Do you realize that the Bible tells us people can use words and have the wrong definition? Have you ever heard this verse? You can turning the grace of God, anybody know, into? So if somebody in the name of grace turns it into lasciviousness, is it grace? And the answer is? No. Now, don't miss this. Years ago, I read a book by a well-known preacher and author, and he preaches good things, don't get me wrong, from time to time. I've heard him preach and, and certainly been appreciative of some of the things he said. But he preached, he wrote a book on grace. And after I read that book, I said, doesn't something ring right here? Because you got the idea that grace was permission. Anytime you read a book on grace and it gives you the idea it's permission, it's not a Bible concept. Because grace isn't permission to do what you want to do. Grace is the power he gives us to do what he wants us to do. See, that's what grace is. It's supernatural. It's God, like I said on the Liberty Road here, getting out, it's not just doing it because you have to, it's doing it because you want to. Okay, it's like God giving you the liberty to, be, to do what God, he wants you to do because you want to do it. Wow, you're free. Okay, so, so people take words like grace and turn them to lasciviousness. How about this one? You know the word faith? Can the fa word faith be used in an incorrect fashion? Well, sure. Good James 2 says, if a man say he has faith and hath not works, it's dead being alone. Okay, in other words, there are people who talk about faith but minimize obedience. See, they've, mis they've misdefined it. Do you know what happens when somebody in the name of liberty indulges their flesh? Do you know what happens in the name of grace when somebody turns it to lasciviousness? Do you know what somebody in the name of faith minimizes obedience and has not obedience? They talk about faith, but they're really not obeying God. Do you know what that is? Counterfeit. So over here, we have what we're going to call legalism, which is the opposite gospel. And over here, we have license, which is the counterfeit gospel. 
Now I'm going to ask you an honest question. Is a counterfeit easier to detect or an opposite? An opposite. Now I'm going to tell you right now, friends, we men sometimes are pretty dense. I, I know every woman out here, all the wives said, amen, glory, hallelujah. Preach it, brother. Okay, yeah, some, we men sometimes are pretty dense. But I will tell you this, uh, ladies, I'm telling you the honest truth. If you had a, a nice tall glass of iced tea, and you had a nice piping cut of hot tea, and you told your husband, could you go get the hot tea, do you know what? We probably can do that. You know why? Because opposites are easy to detect. There's a difference between hot and cold. It's pretty obvious. Okay, you get the idea of opposites, but counterfeit's kind of tough, isn't it? If I pulled out a counterfeit bill, for most of us in this room, we probably couldn't detect it if it was a good counterfeit. Now, if I pulled out, I don't have my wallet with me tonight, but in my wallet, I keep Canadian currency. I've got a $20 Canadian bill. Now, I know why you're asking, why in the world do you carry Canadian money? I would ask you, why wouldn't you carry Canadian money when every Canadian airport has Tim Hortons in it? I'd carry Canadian money if I were you. If you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, you have not lived because Tim Hortons coffee is the best stuff on the planet, and that's my commercial. I was not paid to say that, but nonetheless, okay, for all you coffee lovers out there, okay. But anyway, I got $20. I'm telling you, you can look at my wallet, $20 Canadian, and just in case I get abducted into Canada. Okay, but anyway, so there it is. Uh, probably not getting across the border in the next little bit with everything going on. But, but anyway, okay, so if I showed you Canadian bill, you'd say, that's not American currency. Why? Because it's different. It's like plastic. You can't even tear it. Different. Pretty obviously different. I wouldn't call it opposite, but it's close to an opposite. But if I showed you a counterfeit bill, you'd think you probably wouldn't see it, at least from a distance. You'd think that's a real American currency. See, a counterfeit is much harder to detect than an opposite. Now, let me just say this. The legalism is much easier to detect than license. Now, hang on. Some of you do not have the historical um, perspective to understand what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it for the few that do. I would say the problem, at least in the independent Baptist circles, and that would be other circles as well, but I grew up in the independent Baptist circles. My dad grew up Southern Baptist, became an independent Baptist in his 20s. But uh, one of the reasons was because his pastor was a, a liberal back when he was growing up, did not believe in the virgin birth, didn't believe in the blood atonement, and et cetera. It was way back in the liberal, uh, modernistic days. But anyway, all that aside, I grew up in the independent Baptist movement, and uh, I, um, uh, in the independent Baptist movement, if there was a problem in the 70s and 80s, you know what it was? It was over here, legalism. Now, I'm not saying every church was legalistic. Many of them weren't. But if there was a problem, a ditch, this was the ditch. I would say if there's a ditch today, guess what? It's over here. In fact, I would say most denominations, it's over here. There might be a few over here. Now, you say, preacher, what are you talking about? Okay, hang tight for a moment. I'm going to get, get there. I want you to get this because I want you to have discernment because we're in a day that needs discernment. Let's just imagine, and maybe this will help you out. Let's imagine I took that American flag and I put it right down here. And let's imagine I went to the children's meeting and found some one of the little kids down there, probably just a little two or three-year-old. I think we have one about that age. And let's imagine we brought him up here and I said to that two or three-year-old in front of you all, I said, listen, you touch that eagle on the top of that flag, I'll give you $10. And then that kid starts getting excited, and he starts jumping and trying to hit that eagle. Now, I want to ask you an honest question. Is he going to touch the eagle tonight? And the answer is, he's not going to touch the eagle for a long, long time. And let's imagine he jumps, 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 jumps. You know what's eventually going to happen? He's going to get discouraged. You know what's probably going to happen? 
he's going to leave. And so let's imagine he's jumping, we're cheering him on, we're offering him a moment, we go 10 to 20, we start offering him more money, he keeps jumping. Listen, there's no time in the near future he's even going to come close to that eagle. So we kind of feel bad about it, maybe he starts to leave, and so I take the flag and I compromise it, okay? I compromise the standard. You tracking with me now? And he comes over here and he touches the eagle and we all cheer and we give him the money. Yeah, but we all know he didn't touch the eagle. We compromised the standard. So it was humanly attainable. But there is another option, friends. There's another option. We could leave the standard upright, and we could look out here tonight for somebody, you know, well-built, somebody who lifts weights, somebody that's like a rock, you know, somebody that's like a V. You know what I'm talking about? I'm really not seeing anybody. But anyway, we could look out there for somebody that lifts weights, you know, got bulging muscles, and uh, we could bring that person up here and look at that little kid and say, do you believe so-and-so can lift you to touch that eagle, big eyes? Yeah. And so with a little effort, he just lifts that little guy up. He touches the eagle. Now, don't miss this. We didn't compromise the standard, did we? Did we? But a power that was not his own enabled him to do what he could never do, and the power enabled him. Are you seeing the three options? You know what legalism is? That's that little boy trying to touch the eagle, but he'll never be able to touch it. Do you know you cannot live the Christian life without God? Did you know that? Jesus himself said, without me, you can do nothing. And anybody who endeavors to live the Christian life in human strength always fails. That's legalism. But license is the other one where we compromise the standard. And we take down God's holy standard and we bring it down with fleshly effort. We can do it. But it's not God's standard. We've compromised God's standard. That is license. But there's another option, and that's the middle road here. Turning to Jesus to supernaturally enable us and lift us to do what we could never do unless he enabled us to do it. That's the gospel to the saints. That's the true gospel. It's God-dependent. See, if legalism is flesh-dependent, and this is license is flesh-indulgence, the true gospel is God-dependent. You see that? So you see all this here. Now, let me just simply say this, because I've seen this in our movement, uh, at least in the Independent Baptist movement, as I've been growing up. I've watched this happen. Thank the Lord there are many exceptions, so I'm not trying to overdo it or to broad blush, but I want you to understand something. Here's what I've seen. You've probably seen this. My dad said, uh, he was in the early part of the Independent Baptist movement, and uh, he said, Jim, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, when we started in the 40s and 50s, he said, we were nobody. We were the off-scouring of the earth. Uh, denominational people hated us. He said we were in storefronts. He said we had nothing. The only thing we had was God. He said we'd have all-night prayer meetings. We'd fast. We'd pray. He said we'd depend on God. Did you know by the late 1960s, in 24 of the 50 states, the largest church in that state was an independent Baptist church? Did you know that? I will tell you, in the 70s and 80s, the independent Baptists were the movement. There is no doubt about it. Historically, you can prove it. Really, the megachurch movement, the very first wave of it was independent Baptists. They're the kind of ones that pioneered it way back. Now, if you know anything about the movement, and again, the independent Baptists is not the issue. I'm just trying to help you understand something by using the domination. This, it's not really a dom domination. It's more, uh, oh, that's, I'm afraid... Uh, my phone, I did it again. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I do that too often. Okay. But uh, I'm going to turn this off. Um, 
I won't go into that, but the worst one I ever did was graduation. I was preaching at graduation full regalia. My phone went off. That one I thought almost got fired. Okay, but anyway, uh, so uh, but done that. But anyway, independent Baptist movement, back to the movement itself. But, you know, I, I grew up in the movement, and my dad said, you know, they were, there was all-night prayer meetings, there was dependence, but somewhere in the 70s and 80s, guess what? We were the big guys. Somewhere, you know what happened? I have an opinion that we, there's two things that I am for, but we left our prayer closet, I believe, to do. Number one, Christian school movement. Now, I'm all for Christian schools, don't get me wrong. I've given my life to Christian schools. Next week, I'll be one. Yes, last week, I was in one. I'll be in about 11 different Christian schools this fall. I love Christian schools. But I'm telling you, friends, I think we should have started the Christian schools, but I think we left our prayer closets to do it. And I'm overstating it to make a point. Number two, politics. Now, I'm all for electing good men, but you know what happened? We elected Ronald Reagan into office, and I love Ronald Reagan. I'm probably a huge Ronald Reagan fan, but I will tell you, Ronald Reagan was not the Messiah. And Ronald Reagan had plenty of things that he did, he did that were not helpful. My point is simply this, friends. We left the prayer closet to do some good things. But I, I, and pretty soon, I don't know how to explain it. I believe we, it, it, it kind of moved. We moved into flesh dependence. We moved from God dependence into flesh dependence. Now, don't miss this. You cannot stay in flesh dependence very long. Do you know why? Because it doesn't work. You know that little guy jumping to hit the flag? After a while, you realize, I'll never hit that. I'll never hit that. So don't miss this. Legalism always leads to license unless you meet Jesus. And I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm telling you, friends, when you start walking with Jesus, start walking by faith and seeing supernatural intervention in your life, you're not interested in the slush pond of license and you're not interested in legalism. You're not interested in trying to jump and hit an eagle you'll never hit. And nor are you interested in compromising the standard. You're interested in Jesus lifting you to do what you can never do unless he lifted you to do it. You tracking with me? So understand, and again, I was just overstating the case in our particular movement, but I've certainly seen it. And you know what I've noticed recently in, in our uh, independent Baptist movement? is there's, there's a humility and a brokenness and an emphasis on prayer like I've never seen. It's small, but I'm telling you it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. You know what we're getting back to? God, we need you. We need you. And I'm telling you, we do need God. Okay, so hopefully that will help. You say, okay, preacher, I think I'm getting it. Uh, but I want you to think for a moment about this, because I've seen this happen. Here's a person, I've seen this in some church, you see a family, and, and um, you notice they're very conservative. Now, let me just simply say about legalism, because legalism is one of those catchwords. Legalism is not, most people define legalism this way. Anybody that's stricter than I am, they're legalists. You know, that is not a good definition. Now, may I say this carefully? Legalism has nothing to do with the line you draw. It has everything to do with your attitude toward the line. You could be loose and be a legalist. If you're depending on your flesh to live your line, you're a legalist. I don't care if it's a loosey-goosey line or a strictly wickedly line. It doesn't matter to me. The point is, if you're self-dependent, that's legalism, according to Galatians. Are you tracking on the thing? Getting it? Okay. So legalism is not stricter or looser. Legalism is how you view the line. See, flesh dependence is the killer. It never works. You know why it doesn't work? Because I cannot, listen, you cannot 
flat, with your flesh do things that are supernatural. You can't. You need divine intervention. Do you know you cannot effectively pray without the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? Did you know you can't supernaturally be touched with the Bible, uh, Bible truth without the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? You can't win people to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't grow spiritually without the Holy Spirit. And if you try to do things that can only be done by the Holy Spirit with your flesh, you're looking at disaster. Now, here's the problem with flesh dependence. Here's the problem with flesh indulgence, Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap. Help me out now. Corrupt. At the very end of Galatians, here's what God is saying. You, you can depend on your flesh. You can work hard. You can grit your teeth. You can try to do this Christian life thing, but it will lead to corruption. Or you can go over and you can be loosey-goosey. You can compromise the standard. You can watch what you want to watch, jam on what you want to jam, do what you want to do, but it won't learn, work. Flesh dependence always leads to flesh indulgence unless you meet Jesus. And I've seen people, I was just about to say a moment ago, who were very conservative, and, but they were flesh dependent. And one day you notice they've left their conservative church. Now, now over the loosey-goosey everything, come as you are, leave as you were, loosey-goosey church on the edge of town. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're thinking, what happened? Man, they used to be so conservative. Now they're over here. What happened? Well, actually, what happened wasn't very far. They didn't move very much at all. They moved from one kind of flesh to another kind. <laughs> they moved from flesh dependence to flesh indulgence. It looks like they moved a lot, but they really didn't. You say, okay, preacher, I think I'm getting it. I'm telling you, friends, I have, in one, a couple weeks ago, in the, I think it was July, August, two scandals broke on the same day. One came from a very conservative church, a moral scandal that was, I won't even go into it, so tragic, so wicked and godless. And, the, and then the other one broke was a guy from a real progressive, loosey-goosey church who took a conservative church and took it completely into the contemporary realm and Ridiculous. I mean, just way past the line. Now, you, you look at that and say, well, that doesn't make sense. This guy over here, he's real conservative. This guy's loosey-goosey. What's the deal? Well, they all have in common one thing, flesh. Listen, I will tell you, you give me a legalist church, you give me a licensed church, and I will promise you, sooner or later, you're going to have a scandal. You know why? Because the Bible says the flesh corrupts. It always does. Doesn't matter which side it is. The flesh corrupts. Legalism corrupts. License corrupts. You cannot give the flesh an inch without it corrupting you. The Bible tells us you better be aware of the flesh. Galatians 5 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, the book of Galatians 5 and 6 is all about the flesh. Man, it's saying, listen, don't depend on the flesh and don't indulge in the flesh. You say, well, preacher, what am I supposed to do with the flesh? Glad you asked. Look at verse 24. We're about to land the airport plane. Look at verse 24. And they that are Christ's have what? Verse 24, chapter number 5. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. Now, I believe when the Bible's saying they that are Christ, it's not talking about uh, salvation. If you read chapter 5, it's talking about surrender. It's talking about dependence. It's talking about walking in the Spirit. So I believe what God is saying is, listen, people who have surrendered to do what God wants them to do, live a crucified life. Now, that word have crucified, let me, let me stop for a moment. Make a, I don't want to confuse you. Okay, let's just get this right here. Legalism, flesh dependence. License, flesh indulgence. Liberty, 
flesh crucifixion. You see, friends, you say, what does that mean? Well, I did study on the verb here. It's not passive. You, many of you are familiar with Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Did you know that's passive in voice? Which means when you got saved, you were put into Jesus whether you knew it or not. Most of us, when we get saved, didn't know that. We didn't know we were crucified with Christ the moment we got saved it, because it's passive in voice. And I came to Galatians 5.24, and I was thinking, I wonder if this is passive. And I looked it up. It's not passive. It's active, which means my decision. Now, this is in the aorist tense, and I don't want to get too technical with you, but there's this aorist, it's my opinion, and there are interpretative differences on this, that it's a constative aorist. And a constative aorist, if I was teaching you a constative aorist, would be a dotted line. It'd be a series of crucifixions. In other words, what God is saying is, if you surrender to me, you can bank on the fact your life is going to be a series of flesh crucifixions. Do you know that one flesh crucifixion is not enough for life? Have you ever noticed that? I don't know about you, but I'm having to realize that my flesh keeps rearing its ugly head all the time. Now, maybe you've got better flesh than I do, but i got a really bad deal on the deal. I don't know. My ancestors must have had pretty bad genes because i got bad flesh. I bet you you do too. So you know what I have to do on a periodic basis? That flesh rears its ugly head. You know what i got to do? I said, you're done, buddy. I'm crucifying you. I'm done. I'm done with this. You know why you have invitations? So you can crucify the flesh. You say, preacher... I don't like walking the aisle in invitation. I don't know many people who do. But I'll tell you this, does a good old idea, it'll knock your flesh down. I promise you, walk down an aisle, friend, you'll take that flesh down, you'll put them in a casket, and I'm telling you, you'll think you're dying too. I'm telling you, it's not a bad deal to die. Did you know that? When it comes to your flesh, God said crucify it. You know, I'm telling you, one of the things that I've noticed about millennials and Gen Zers, and I've given my life to them, is they don't like flesh crucifixion. And they even theologically argue against it. But I guarantee you, any Christian in this room who walks with Jesus, any one of you, can point back and say, yeah, yeah, I crucified. God, God led me there. I had to say no to my flesh here, no to my flesh here. Let me, you say, Richard, what are you talking about? I went to just a few weeks be with a pastor friend down in Florida. He was in the Air Force, got wondrously born again. He's now a pastor at the very church. He can take you back to the hallway, tell you where he got saved. Pastors at very church where he got saved. It's a really neat thing. He said, it wasn't long after I got saved, I come to, started coming to church every service, and some guy got up and ripped it on worldly music. That was back in the 70s. We used to have a bunch of deal, people deal with worldly music. But since world, music's no longer worldly, we don't talk about it anymore. Since everybody, nobody listens to world, worldly music anymore. I'm speaking as a fool, using Paul. But anyway, and so, but anyway, somebody got up and just ripped it up on, on worldly music, and he didn't get mad. You know what he said? The guy's right. Went home, gathered all his records together. Now, that dates the illustration. You with me? Somebody say, records, what are you talking about? Find the oldest person in the room and ask them. They'll be glad to tell you what vinyl is, records, etc. I hear they're making a little bit of a comeback. But anyway, and so uh, he got all his records together, and he went out to the burn barrel. Now, you have to ask somebody old about that, too. But anyway, he went out, especially if you're in Washington, D.C., you have no clue what a burn barrel is, but go out to the deep south, you can find a burn barrel. Okay, he went out to the burn barrel. I think fire was raging. He took his record collection, and he pitched it in that burn barrel. You know what he was doing? Crucifying the flesh. I've worked with teenagers for 37 years. I've seen a lot of teenagers crucify the flesh. You say, preacher, how? Going to the principal's office and confessing uh, cheating? I'm telling you, last week, 
We probably, I would say, had 40, 50 kids crucify the flesh. You say, how? Most of them going home and say, Mom and Dad, I've been looking at junk on the Internet. Yeah. Mom and Dad or teacher, I cheated on this test. Crucifying the flesh. You know what happens when you crucify the flesh? This may really, really surprise you. You live. You live. When you die, you live. It's the strangest thing. You know who the happiest kids were on Friday night? Kids getting up to talk about talking with their parents and talking, getting right with teachers and getting things right. They're the happiest kids. You know why? Because they experienced the resurrected. I'm telling you, crucifixion of the flesh is a lost art in the 2021. It's a lost art. Instead, we're wallowing in the sewage over here or wallowing in the sewage over here. Instead of walking the liberty road, where you, every once in a while you just, God's going to bring you, hey, that needs to go. You need to stop listening to that. Don't watch that anymore. Get that junk out of your life. And you have to crucify the flesh. And I, I, uh, I, I was preaching in the state of Wisconsin. I'd finished preaching. And a dear pastor friend of mine was deeply emotional. About my age, tears in his eyes. He said, congregation, he said, I've got to tell you. He said, what the evangelist talked about tonight, he said, that's so true in my life. He said, I got saved in eighth grade, started going to Independent Baptist Church right over here in um, Maryland, Granite Baptist over in Glen Burnie. Some of you might be familiar with that by the airport. He said, I started going to that church every time the doors were open, and, or at least every Sunday morning. And he said, uh, my parents got divorced. And he said, Sunday, into my, up my day with my dad. He said, after church, my dad would pick me up. He said, pretty soon, God's Holy Spirit began to deal with me and say, you need to be in church Sunday night. He said, I went to my dad and said, Dad, I want to spend time with you. Don't get me wrong, but I got to get back to church on Sunday night. He said, the second thing that happened was this. He said, my dad would go right to a movie theater. We'd get something to eat. We'd go right to a movie theater. He said, movie after movie after movie. He said, the Holy Spirit of God would convict me. Why are you watching this? Why are you watching this? Finally, he said, I went to my dad and said, Dad, I can't go to the movie theater anymore. That stuff's grieving the Holy Spirit. I just, I just can't go anymore. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at his congregation. He said, if I had not made those two decisions, I would not be a pastor, nor would I be anybody's pastor. You know what he's saying? At a young age, I learned to crucify the flesh. I didn't understand what I was doing. I was just following the Holy Spirit. Do you know what happens if you follow the Holy Spirit? You crucify the flesh. You say, I'm not doing this anymore. That's got to go. No, that's not helping me. No, I need to deal with that. No, I need to walk that aisle. I need to go ask that person for forgiveness. Oh, you've got to crucify the flesh. But when you do, you'll be on the liberty road. That's the God-dependent road. That's where there's liberty to do what God wants you to do. That's where you ought to live. Not in the cesspools on either side, legalism and license, flesh dependence and flesh indulgence. You see it, friends? <laughs> just trying to encourage you because I'm going to be honest with you. If I could just be dead honest with you, you've been a great crowd. I appreciate so much you letting me preach to you yesterday and coming back tonight. I know, I, I really do appreciate it. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've traveled in churches today. You know what the problem is today? License. Like I mentioned yesterday, the moral issues are huge. I mean, young men steady. I listen, most of the young men in our independent Baptist Bible college are struggling with pornography. I'm just telling you the truth. Most of them are. They're studying for the ministry. They're going to be your next generation of pastors. I mean, we're in license. And it's just amazing to me, the kind of entertainment that's watched, the music that's listened to, it's just killing us. But I'm telling you, the answer is not legalism. 
The answer is Jesus. Always has been, always will be. I was just talking literally minutes ago before the service to a young man that may travel with me next fall. I said, tell me about your life. He said, when I was 18, walked out of my parents' house. He said, I walked into the devil's lifestyle. He said, I lived on my own. He says, you name it, I did it. He said, about four years without living, he said, I got right with God. And he says, I've learned that the only way to overcome those sinful addictions that became a part of my life is a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, friend, that's what Galatians is all about. You know what Paul's saying? Stop living by the law, flesh dependence, and then don't overreact and go to flesh indulgence. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you just stand to your feet, heads bowed? You've done a wonderful job. As I mentioned yesterday, we'll certainly try to be finished by 7.15 every night. And You've done a great job this evening listening. It's a little bit of a challenge, a little bit more of a thick message, and I appreciate your wonderful attention. Now, in a message on crucifying the flesh, I guess we'll give you an opportunity to do it. <laughs> if God's touched your heart in a moment as the pianist plays, I'm going to invite you just to sit where you are or to come to the front and kneel here at the stairs. Just do what God tells you to do. Maybe there's something God's telling your heart, you know, that it needs to go out of your life, or you, you need to get that right, or you need to talk to that person, or you need to, you know, you need to confess. Some of you a teenager, you need to get right with your parents some of the stuff you've been doing behind their back they don't know about. I don't know what God's talking to you about. But I'm telling you, the narrow road, the flesh crucifixion road, the liberty road, the walking with Jesus road, the God dependence road, that's the way to go. Don't get on the cesspools on either side. For just a moment as the piano plays, God's touched your heart. You just do business as God would tell you to do.